ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is episode 50, season 3. music for today's podcast, my interview with Stephen Kewen, the author of 10 Lies Men Believe About Porn. We recorded it in a coffee shop, and we used um, like the children's area. They let us use the children's area <laughs> to record the show, which actually used to be a sound studio. And no, there was no children present all right, during the recording of this episode, just so you know. They were gracious enough to close the door and let us have the uh, studio with a big window. It, it looks like a, a studio, but it was, but it sounds kind of echoey. So anyway, apologize for the audio up front, but it was good interview. I'm going to have Steve on the show again when I'm not so sleep deprived. All right. I refer to uh, hire-calling.com, I believe, towards the end of this episode in the interview. That actually doesn't exist anymore. It's it's the purityreport.com. It's on the website, asi247.org. I fixed that. Um, pray for me. Man, some of these interviews, last two interviews, stuff happens the night before, and, and I, your host, end up doing these things like sleep deprived. I don't know why, you know, spiritual warfare. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but that's just kind of the circumstances of, of some of these interviews. Um, but I did the best I could. So um, I wanted to also tell you Steve's book is an excellent piece of work. Um, I believe in his message. I believe in what he's doing. Um, there's also a coupon code uh, at beltoftruth.com. If you go to the, the website, beltoftruth.com, you use the uh, promo code ASI247, and you can get 35% off of this book uh, on his website. That's beltoftruth.com. Also, until July 8th. 2014, whenever you're hearing this, I don't know, but there'll be uh, 99 cents for the electronic version of the book until July 8th, right there on Amazon. Um, Steve's Twitter handle is at the belt of truth. And uh, again, the belt of If you want to get 35% off the book there, you can do that on his website. I'll have a link on my website, asi247.org, as well. Um, Stephen also has group curriculum for his book, um, Buy a Pack of Books. Uh, you can ha There's a video, promotional video, to play at your church to help kick this thing off. Um, it's, 
you know, sitting with someone and, and counseling them one-on-one is one thing. Um, the group aspect to this is so powerful. Uh, I pray that you consider that as you listen to the podcast here today. Um, I believe in what he's doing, man. Again, feeding your brain. What what you feed in your brain, like before you go to bed, taking time to read, taking time to um, invest in the you that you're going to be a few years from now, all right? It takes maybe picking up a book, maybe doing the discipline of reading and feeding that uh, feeding that other dog, right? Also, I get into a little bit of my Twitter controversy. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, you'll, you'll see the Twitter controversy, uh, the conversation I got in with uh, Nadia Bowles-Weber, a little bit of it anyway. Uh, her Twitter address is at Sarcastic Luther. Um, she's one of my heroes for Jesus. I believe in, in what she's doing. I believe in her message. Um, another recovery person like me who's in ministry, and I, uh, I respect her immensely. And the fact that, uh, well, you'll hear in the interview here, I start out with uh, talking about that. And then we got into the uh, the talk, man, with, uh, with Steve Kewitt. So here you go. Without further ado. Welcome to the search for meaning if you're alive. Integrity. This is episode 50. I still hear, I, I still hear a little music, Steve. I'm here with Steve, and uh, we are talking about the book that you just... This is like a brand new book, right? Isn't it, Steve? Yeah, it came out June 3rd, so been out about a month now. Right. The 10 Lies Men Believe About Porn. Yep. Before we get started with that, I have a few little announcements that I have to go through real quick. Um... We're also, we're in the Q Cafe here in uh, Seattle, Washington, just across the bridge from Ballard. Uh, we are just a stone's throw from where all the, like the, if you've seen the show, uh, uh, Deadly's Catch, where all those boats are parked. Like they're all, you know, usually <laughs> summer or something like that, they're over there. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at, man. We're right here in the gritty city of Seattle, the Q Cafe. Um, recording the podcast. If you hear music or noises in the background, that's uh, that's what's going on. So, doing a public podcast here today. Um, real quick, donations. This is a listener-supported podcast, so if any of you could throw a, a few uh, bucks in the tip jar sitting on the counter here at the espresso stand of the ASI show, i certainly appreciate that. Um, the Twitter controversy with Nadia Bowles-Weber. If you guys follow me on Twitter, it's at Russ Shaw, all one word. Um, I played on the last podcast a sermon by Bowles-Weber, and I tweeted out something that to the effect of making it maybe sound like I had her booked as a guest on the show, which I did not. And I did not, 
have her permission to play that sermon either, by the way. So I got a... Uh, I got a tweet back from from Nadia herself and and like dude bad form right and so but she is gracious enough to let me leave it on the show she said I don't have to take it down or anything just hey you know give me a heads up um, Nadia Bowles Weber is a New York Times best-selling author and it's one of those things I just felt like maybe I don't I don't know if that kind of person is gonna go on my show so I didn't really pursue I, I think I asked her once on a email or something like that or one of her people I didn't hear back but I did play I did I played soundbite on another show I think it was episode 42 um, at the end of that show like five or six minutes long um, but again I wanted to apologize to Nadia and her people and um, I do have the book on the website the Paxtress book by the way uh, but I uh, I really like Nadia Bowles Weber I, I like her story um, Again, she is a six foot one, covered in tattoos, Lutheran female minister in Colorado. Um, what's not to like, right? Uh, so, Steve, anyway, we're getting into your book, man. I am excited to have you on the podcast. Been checking out your book um, yesterday. My wife was actually reading some of it too. So, yeah, it was a tough day for me. Uh, the other day when, when I got the tweet from Nadia, I also had a kind of an argument with my wife over lying because I kind of lied to my boss. Like I was convicted about something you said about being just living a life of, of just, it just comes natural to lie, even about stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. And the lie that I told my boss, I'm self-employed, I'm a sales rep, so um, you know this guy is a guy who supplies me. So technically he is an authority over me. And I just kind of said a little a little lie to him to make it sound like I was better than I am. <laughs> it wasn't even that big a deal. But I did tell him, like I, I didn't go to a stop um, to pick up supplies when I should have, and I made an excuse and, and lied about it. And then, and then my wife and I were talking about this. I call up my boss and <laughs> I told him, I said, hey man, I lied to you. I'm sorry, it was stupid. Um, so, actually, I sent a text. It wasn't even a call. See that? I just did it again, Steve. <laughs> what is wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> it's that. It's amazing how easy that is. It I just, know, right? It gets a foothold in you, and it just, you don't even realize you're doing it. Yeah. After a while, we, uh, it's just living in the truth. It's kind of a, a daily, uh, a daily thing, isn't it? Absolutely. So, your story is intriguing, Steve. Um, Man, your book is is important, I believe. Um, I wanted to start with with that. You know, you talk about the truth and the lies, and, and you're writing your own autobiography. I like what you said about that as well. Um, but where did this really kind of get to where it was no longer just a you know, because a lot of guys look at porn, like, what's the big deal? I look at porn, so what? I mean, what, when did it cross that line from, from being the guy who justifies it to the guy who's like, wait, this is, this is something deeper than, than just novelty, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think for me, um, and I kind of share in my story, like, I, uh, just for a lot of reasons, um, you know, I'm a graphic designer. I'm I'm extremely visual because of that. Um, you know, and then just I wasn't real popular with girls in middle school and all that. And so you take all those all those things together, and then like 
all that was going on in my heart when I found my first magazine, the first time I saw porn. And so for me, as far as when it got its hooks in me, like I, I really don't remember a time when it didn't. Like I knew from the, my first exposure, I was hooked. And growing up in a Christian household, I also knew from that point, this is something I need to hide. This is not acceptable. This is, um, you know, so that led to a lot of shame, a lot of hiddenness. And that led me down that path of, of lying, you know, right. like we're talking about, like, you know, when you have this dual life, this life that you allow people to see, and then this life that you don't allow people to see, you have to become really good at lying. Right. So because of that, um, I also became very good at lying to myself and, you know, use, use or justification. And there was a lot of that involved. Um, I was always, always really plugged in in youth group, lived in a Christian house in college. Um, you know, my whole life above the surface was, uh, looked like I had it all together. Right. Um, below the surface, if I was honest with myself, I knew that I didn't, I knew that there was a problem. I knew that this thing was controlling me. Um, but the real key there was if I was honest with myself. And a lot of times I, I wasn't, I would just ignore it, pretend like it wasn't an issue. Um, the real turning point for me, um, which is funny because I know you've been talking over the past few podcasts about Mars Hill Church and your, right. your yeah. connection with them. But um, you know, I was actually listening to a Mars Hill podcast and, and Pastor Mark just made a comment and he said, um, you know, at, at this point, I, I was married. My wife knew nothing of my addiction. I hid it from her. Um, but I don't remember if she was at the time pregnant with our daughter or if we had already had our daughter. Um, but I knew at that point, like, I was going to be the father of a little girl. And Pastor Mark makes this comment in one of the sermons about how um, if a dad is struggling with pornography and he has a daughter, when she becomes a teenager, she matures physically. Um, that he will, whether he realizes or not, he will naturally pull away from her because that same shame that he subconsciously feels towards pornography, he will start feeling towards his daughter because she will start looking like the same types of women that you see in, in porn or whatever, you know, it's like, right. and so he'll feel weird. Like, even though there's nothing inappropriate there, it's like, if I hug my daughter and she now looks like, a, you know, one of these teen women or whatever. blossom as a woman, right? Yeah. And it's like, and so the dad will pull away. But what happens is then at that moment, that's when the girl really needs that love and affection from her father. Right. And all of a sudden she realizes, oh, dad's pulling away from me. Therefore I must not be lovable. I'm, there must be something wrong with me. She starts to have all these lies come into her brain and she'll start seeking that male affection elsewhere. Right. So, you know, and to me that just totally freaked me out. Because it's like, at at that point, I realized how important it is that not only for me, but for my, for my family, for my daughter, that, that, um, you know, I I need to start taking this seriously. And that was really the first moment when I started to, to reach out for help. And, uh, yeah, so. Right. Let me back up a a little bit with your story there. Um, I also wanted to, to let listeners know. Um, this isn't a Christian type of a podcast just for Christian consumption. Like, I've never had it in my heart to preach to the choir, like, ever. And that's another thing I like about your book, is that you didn't just write this for Christian consumption either. Like, you start that out in your book, and you have kind of a, a dual way of reading it, right? Like, you understand that. Like, there's some people that may hear what you just said about you know, about growing up in a Christian house. And I've heard a lot of people, myself being one of them, if I look back on my story, when I, I walked away from my faith, I thought to myself about that kind of double life. Like, 
people can't really be honest as Christians, you know? Right. And that's not true, but that's maybe a part, a big part of religion, one of the lies of religion, right? That we have to kind of cover up and, and make our, our, put our best face forward, so to speak. Um, so I guess my, my question in that would be, for the person who's listening that may not share our worldview as Christians, um, what would you say to that cat who, who may be, you know, kind of spooked by that comment about, you know, wow, you know, what, am I, what if my, my little girl or my, my friend's little girls or, yeah, there's some guys, like, I know guys who've said that, like, yeah, I, I that heard that sermon by Pastor Mark and said, yeah, you know, I, I have felt uncomfortable around my friend's teenage daughter, um, so, so I feel you. I get you. And that's another thing. I'm not. A, I'm not against Marcel Church just because I left the church. Like I pray for the church every day. I'm no longer a member there. It had to do with you know matters of conscience in my own life and being a recovery guy and stuff like that. But I don't stand in judgment of the church. And and I do love Pastor Mark and I, and I pray that things get ratified there. But yeah, man, he's touched your life. He's touched my life. Um, and that that's very true. You know, what what a lot of guys can go through when they're addicted to porn, when we visualize women. Is, is that one of the lies that you talk about in your book? Um, not specifically, although, um, you know, the earlier question you asked, which was, what would, what would I say to um, somebody who may be from a different worldview? Uh-huh. Um, you know, that actually, lie number seven in my book deals directly with that. And, and the, the gist of like the answer I would give to that is actually the same answer I would give to somebody who is coming to my book from a Christian worldview. And that is, um, it's worth asking and considering if your idea of what a Christian worldview is, is actually what the Bible says. Right. Um, because I found it in, in my experience, and that's the big reason why I wrote, you know, the 10 lies men believe about porn is even though I'd grown up in the church, I'd grown up in great churches that were teaching the truth of scripture. I had misinterpreted and misunderstood a lot of those truths. And so what I was believing was Christianity in reality wasn't, right. you know, I was calling Jesus Lord of my life, but in reality I was functioning as my own Lord of my life. And if I was being honest, I would tell you that it wasn't really changing my life. I was just trying to convince myself and everyone around me that it was working for me when I knew that it wasn't. That being said, once I had a true legitimate encounter with Jesus and I started to understand what the Bible really says about you know, specifically these lies, these were the ones that were affecting my life. Once I realized the truth of scripture, all of a sudden Jesus became real to me. My life was changed. My behavior changed. All this stuff the scripture promises is true happened in me. Right. So for the person coming to this book from a non-Christian worldview, first thing I would ask them is, is your impression of what a Christian worldview is, is that based on scripture or is that based on very harmful and destructive things that we have seen through people that may be claiming to be a Christian, but in reality, their life is not changed by Jesus. They're taking the label, but they're not actually putting their trust in him. And that's where we see so much damage happening. Right. Um, and to be honest, the stories I've heard from a lot of those guys, it's like, yeah, I would walk away from that, that church also. You know, I would walk away from that Jesus also because what they are picturing of Jesus is not really who he is. And that's the thing when you, if you come to realize who God truly is and who Jesus truly is and how he feels about you and what the Bible really says, 
people would be ripping the doors off churches to get in because yeah. it's, it will change your life. The relationships you will experience are going to be the most fulfilling relationships that right. you've ever experienced. But that's a lot different than a relationship with religious people. Exactly. And <laughs> it's just, and that's the funny thing is it's like, I, I look back now and it's like, how did I miss this for so many years? Because I, I look at how I was living my life and I was, my life was much more, um, similar to the Pharisees than to Jesus. I was looking at, you know, I was constantly focusing on my behavior. I, I ignored what was going on in my heart at the expense of trying to perfect my behavior. I was trying to become good enough. And, and if you're trying to become good enough, you know, deep down that you're not. And so naturally you're going to be comparing yourself to other people. And if you feel like you're just sort of treading water and you want to feel better, the best way to do that is to put down other people, you know? So that's, that's where you see churches and, and these like hyper religious people going around telling everyone, Oh, you need to fix your behavior. You need to, you know, try harder and buck up and become a better Christian and going up to people that are not connected to Jesus, people out in the world and saying, Oh, you need to change your behavior and all that. Right. Well, if you read the Bible, they can't change the behavior because behavior change is an inside out thing. They need Jesus to change their heart and then their behavior can change. Yeah. It's just stuffing it in from the outside. Right. That was something a pastor very influential said to me. It's one of those, those turning points in my life, defining moments when I could wrap my head around that. Like I kept bringing in the Bible and saying how it was a book of fairy tales and, you know, myths and legend and stuff. And, and in shoulds and ought tos, you know. And he said, he said, Russ, you, you keep bringing this to me thinking that you can shove it in from the outside. Like these are things that you push into you from the outside. He said, it starts in here and it works its way out. Like right. that's different than shoving it in from the outside. What you said about religion is also something that I've, I've been in conversations with, with guys who've gone to like secular colleges and have heard from their atheist college professor and it's funny how atheists, you know, meaning without God, can sound like such a self-righteous religion, you know? And I hear a lot of those guys saying, you know, well, my, my professor said this, my professor said that, about, well, this is why there's no God, or, you know, this is why that your philosophy doesn't make sense. And, I, and my thing is, is like, you call us closed-minded, but you don't see your own closed-mindedness. There's a lot of that. You know, not just atheists. I mean, all sorts of different worldviews. Sometimes for Christians, even opening our mind to there's a lot of Christians who maybe just devout in their in their religious behavior, in their theology, in their you know uh, rhythms and rituals. That some of what you're saying is is scary, isn't it, Steve? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, I don't ever want to come across as saying, like, I'm anti-church or anti-Christian or any of that. Um, I love my church. I, I, I think Christianity is the greatest thing to ever happen to the planet. Right. Um, you know, and so just uh, I want to make sure people understand what I'm saying is not that, you know, Christianity or the church itself is bad. It's that a lot of people are following what they believe is Christianity when in reality it's not. What, right. they're, what they're following is empty religion. And that keeps them from finding the truth of Christianity. And when you think about it, it's a great trick by the devil. Because if he gets you to believe that you are following Jesus, when in reality you're not, then you stop considering and asking the questions of, you know, 
am I actually a Christian? And again, that's not about losing your faith or anything like that. It's, it's that initial question of, have I actually made Jesus Lord of my life? Right. Am I trusting him to change me or am I trying to earn God's favor by being good enough myself through all of these rituals? Right. You know, and it's, that was most of my life. That's how I spent it. And, you know, look where it got me. It, you know, I was wrapped in, in addiction and pride and anger and, and, you know, became a pathological liar and, 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 you know, all of this happening when I'm claiming, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I was going to seminary, you know, and I was a leader in my church and all this stuff, but it was all, all that behavior was trying to overcome what I knew was really going on in my heart. Right. And it wasn't until I reached that point where I realized, you know, no matter what I do, I can't fix my heart. I've all I've done is led just a tra- left a trail of destruction behind me. This is what happens when I try to be good enough. Right. I destroy my life and the lives of those that are close to me. Yeah. That, that is exhausting, right? Yeah. And then <laughs> trying to keep up that facade that I'm perfect mm-hmm. and all that, that was taking all my energy. I had nothing left to, to love on other people. And so when I reached that point and realized, you know, I'm worse than I actually was willing to admit that I was. Right. That's when I also realized, you know, and I think it was, it was, a. Uh, Tom Ryan, one of the recent guests on your show, I mean, he said like that point where you realize we're all worse than we think we are, but the beauty is God loves us more than we ever imagined. And you know, Jesus is more powerful than we ever imagined. And it's, it's, it's that dichotomy where you realize I can't fix myself, but then also realizing, but God still loves me, even yeah. though I've left this trail of destruction. And it was never about my behavior. Yeah. You know, Jesus came because I couldn't fix myself. And when I realized that and realized, you know, Jesus doesn't want me to fix my sin before he's willing to love me. He wants to love me while he and I work on my sin together. Right. That's when life started to change. And that's when I started to realize, okay, this is what Christianity is. This is different. Right. You know, this isn't a bunch of empty rules and laws and, yeah. you know, old regulations that, that we should have evolved from or, you know, all, all, the, all the things <laughs> yeah. that you hear people say. Yeah. You, you know, Christianity is not about the rules. Right. The empty rules of men, as Colossians would say, right? Yeah. The rules are just there to show us that we can't do it on our own. That's right. Dude, um, you're, you have, uh, this thing has claimed marriage your your marriages um you, one of the things about your story and and it, my man, my heart hurts for you and and folks listening too because i've ha- i've had talks with guys and they say well if i confess this stuff if i actually talk about this stuff if i actually be who i really am in front of my wife i might lose my marriage i mean i've had guys say that just freaking out scared mm-hmm. in a in a quiet room with me or other men and just going, I, I cannot, I can't tell her because if I do, my, my marriage might end. And the truth is, man, it might, you yeah. know, that's the thing is we want to, we want to give people nice, cushy, you know, oh, it's okay, buddy. We'll be there for you. You know, like we're on some football team or something and everything's going to be fine. Sometimes it isn't fine. And, and that's part of your story, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, um, one of the things I mentioned in the book is that uh, the worst moment of my life was also simultaneously one of the best moments of my life. 
And that was the moment when I finally confessed everything to my wife. Right. Um, I had wrestled with that for about a year. I'd made a partial confession to her. I told her about my pornography addiction, um, but I never told her about the fact that that had actually broken out of the computer and I had had real life affairs. Um, and it was that same thing. I just, I just knew like if I tell her, she will leave me. Um, and so we were in marriage counseling, trying to, trying to repair our marriage. And she wanted to trust me. She wanted things to work out. To be honest, she, she stuck in there way longer than she should have. Cause we're sitting there in marriage counseling and I'm just lying through my teeth saying, Oh, I've told you everything. Why can't you forgive me? And you know, I see in retrospect, it's cause God wasn't going to let her forgive me. I mean, right. she's God's daughter and he loves her and he wanted to protect her from me who wasn't willing to put her needs above mine. That's right. And so it got to the point where like every time I closed my eyes to pray, I was, you know, God, all I would hear is God saying, tell her, tell her, tell her. And eventually it just got so intense. It was like getting hit over the head with a sledgehammer. And I just knew like, this is the one thing I need to do. And yeah, it, it, it literally took me almost a year before I got the guts to do it. Right. Um, but what happened was I finally realized one day I was sitting in church and, uh, God just made it clear to me that she was never going to be free until she knew what she had to be free from. And by me holding back from her, I was keep, I was robbing her of her ability to ever be free from this. She knew something was wrong. She knew something was still hurting her, but she didn't know what she didn't know what she had to heal from. And so out of my selfish attempt at my own protection, I wasn't telling her, you know, and but the reality was that the confession isn't what caused that pain. It was the, the affairs and all the stuff I was hiding from her that had happened, you know, months and years earlier. That had already caused the pain. The confession was the moment where she finally realized what the pain was so she could deal with it. Right. And so, you know, one Sunday I, I went over and I told her everything. And I, I knew it, it was probably going to be the end of my marriage. Um, so like I say, that was the worst moment of my life, but that was also the moment that God became real to me because that was the moment where I finally said, God, no matter what it takes, no matter what it costs, even if it costs me my marriage, it's more important that I follow you, that I do what you have called me to do. Right. And I realized that up until that point, I had, you know, I had made Jesus Lord of 95% of my life. I, you know, I, it, but in reality, I was choosing what 5% I wanted to hold back. I was telling God in this area of confession, no, God, I know better than you. I can make better decisions than you, which is basically saying, sorry, I'm going to be Lord of my own life because right. God's not interested in 95%. He wants a hundred. And that's not about behavior. That's not saying you need to be perfect. That's about trust. God wants your full trust. And in that moment, when I finally gave him my full trust and I said, Lord, even if it cost me my marriage, I have to tell her because she needs to be set free. Right. Um, that's when, that's when Jesus became real to me. But yeah, like you said, there's not always a happy ending. She did file for divorce. Um, but again, she had every right to, and you know, I think if, if I, if I had listened to God, when he first started working on me saying, tell her. You know, and if I had told her everything, then to be honest, I think we'd still be married right. because that in that moment when Jesus became real to me, that's when my whole life changed. That's when my personality changed. That's when I became humbled and all the things that she was looking for in me to show that I had changed through all the counseling and all that 
all that stuff showed up once I finally trusted Jesus. Right. But at that point, I'd lied to her for, for so long, it was too late. That's right. You know, and, and that was it's just kind of, it, it took a while. My, my story's similar. You know, it took me a year. I, at first it was porn. I, I did a year without porn. I started the podcast because I did a year without porn. And during that time, I also quit with prostitutes. Like I was seeing prostitutes and just horrible, you know, uh, debauchery. Um, but I didn't. I didn't confess that right out either. And I think that's something that maybe listeners can learn from our bloodshed is to, you know, it's like ripping a band-aid off of, right? Just do it quick and right. painful and do start. But I think it's easier than tearing it off slowly. Um, I did some podcasts early on on uh, what I call the bomb squad. It's kind of a metaphor um, that I got from a Christian counselor who talked about some statistics that he had formulated just by doing his ministry on he said that about set, you know somewhere between you know 60 and 70 percent of people who confess this one-on-one without you know some kind of community or counseling around them um, usually ends in divorce was did you you had some counseling around you did you have like a did you confess it in with in the presence of someone else or no. How did that come out? Because some people are going to... This is one thing, Steve, that I've, I've cautioned people about, too. There's sometimes... There's something in me, and this was something I was afraid of in my confession, and I think it's legitimate. It doesn't mean that you should wait a year, <laughs> but it, it is something that people should address in their own heart, and that is their own sense of anger and self-righteousness. Like, I, I, had, the, I had it in me, the darkness in me, to say, yeah, I cheated, but you. Right? Right. And I was afraid that if I did that one-on-one with her, with my wife, you know, if I, I, I that I could go there just because I know my, my wicked heart, you know? I mean, I'm a ninja with my words. That's one of my, it's one of my gifts. It's also one of the things I can wound and injure people with. So having someone present when I did it was really helpful. Um, but how did that, how did you, I mean, explain that for me if you could. Just go into that a little bit. Yeah, well, by the time I had made that full confession, um, we'd already tried marriage counseling and had a lot of opportunities where I could have done it right, with, like you were saying. Yeah, with that third party there. Um, right. You know, we met with a great Christian counselor. We and but I, I wasn't I wasn't willing to confess at that point. I was still in self protection mode. I was right, still trying to right. control and manipulate the situation. So this is kind of after like you're talking about your bloodshed there. Right. right. That's, that's that pride, right? That kind of oh my God, like who who the hell am I? That's a big part of overcoming this or realizing it or getting a recovery for it is just who the hell am I? Right? I mean you, you wrestle with that a little bit and talking you talked about your your relationship with, with Christ and, and, and how, man, that identity is so important. Like we don't get it if, we, if we're religious. We don't get it. Yeah, well, and that's why, I mean, identity really is the foundation. And that's why it's, you know, that's lie number one in my book is my pornography addiction defines who I am. Right. And, and the truth that sets you free is the, the only person that can define you is God. He's the one that makes you. And when you start looking at what the Bible says is true about those who are in Christ, if you have trusted Jesus, you know, look up all the verses in the Bible, like get on Bible Gateway, look up the phrase in Christ, and you'll get all these verses that talk about who you are now that you're a Christian. Right. And it, 
it will blow your mind. You're a child of God. You are seated in the heavenlies, which means as far as God's concerned, you know, you're, you're already on the throne next to him. You're fused with Jesus. Like when yeah. he sees you, he sees Jesus. Right. Like that's you're a child. Like that's different. Than yeah. And it's like, think how much, like if you're a parent and you love your kid, that's how much God loves you, except even more. Because, Way more. Yeah. yeah we're, we're human. That's you know? mind blowing. But speak to the, uh, speak to the, the, the person who may be saying, you know, where is God? I mean, there's some people, I was frustrated and I, and I struggle with that. Like, yeah, you know, I get all the gospel stuff, Steve, but where's God when I'm freaking hurting? Where is, where is he there? You know, I fell again. So many guys are just freaking out and they're, I mean, I was there just in tears. I remember those days just feeling yeah. like, where are you? Speak to that a little bit. The, the, the guys who may get it, that understand that. Maybe some guys who theologically they get the, the, the reform stuff or the gospel stuff, but if when they're still struggling, um, where, where do we go? Where, where's, where's the lie we believe in that? That's another thing I love about your book. Uh, sorry, I'm digressing <laughs> a little bit here. There's that question, so hold that. We'll pin that, and then one more thing. I like that you don't tell people what to do. Your book doesn't isn't a rule book, right? It's not a how-to book. Right. We believe lies, right? That's why I think your book is so important because we do believe lies. We believe them. So anyway. Well, that's because it's to, it's not about what you do. It's yeah. not about behavior. Life change comes from the heart, and the way your heart is changed is when your belief lines up with the truth of Scripture. Right. And so. You know, it's funny, you, like going back to your question, what do you say to that guy that's like, where is God? Why, you know, I, I spent most of my addiction asking God to take it away from me. All right. You know, and I can look back now and I can see he wanted to and he was trying to, but he's always going to work in according to his word. He's going to work according to scripture. And he gives us those patterns. You know, he tells us in, uh, in, First John 8.10, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Right. You know, and how much of my life was I in the church claiming I had no sin, saying, look, I'm, I'm perfect Steve. I've got it all together. Right. You know, or in, uh, in James 5.6, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Right. You know, God has told us there is a confession aspect amongst ourselves. We need to have this community, a safe place where we can say, look... I'm Steve. I struggle with pornography. You know, if, if you're not taking the steps that he's already outlined for us, if you're not trusting that his path will lead to freedom, you're not going to find freedom. Right. And so even though I, I constantly was praying, you know, Lord set me free from this. What I was praying is Lord snap your fingers and make this addiction <laughs> go away. Yeah, exactly. And his response which I can only now see in retrospect was I'm going to let you figure out how to follow what I have already told you works. Right. And once you trust that, you know, it's, yeah, it's a little different for everybody, but there's steps, there's things he calls us to do. And if we're not willing to do that, what we're saying is we're trying to find a separate path apart from trusting him. Right. And even though I would say, Oh, I'm trusting Jesus. My actions were showing that I wasn't, I was trying to find ways around what I knew he was calling me to do. And so that's what I encourage guys. If they ask me, you know, what's the first step? I say, find a safe community, yeah. find, 
you know, I mean, that's why you see amazing life change in guys in recovery groups that you don't always see in people that are just showing up Sunday morning at church because you can't connect on that level in a big group setting. Right. You know, you need those guys in your life that you can say, I looked at porn 10 times this week and they're going to be like, well, you must be tired, but hey, we still love you. <laughs> that's right. You know, and it's, they understand it's not about behavior. It's yeah. about what's going on in your heart. Are you trusting Jesus? It also has to do with hope too, doesn't it? Like yeah. Where are you placing your hope? Like that song, the song, the anthem of the show that we, we started the show with. Um, we place our hope somewhere, don't we? It's, it's not just a, you know, some ether thing that floats around like a cloud above us. We put it in places. Um, that's important too. You know yeah. that cat, the, the dude, the song, the, the uh, David... Oh, Sean McDonald. Sean McDonald. Yes. Yeah, we go way back. We uh, we lived together in college, and, oh, and I, I feel like I'm totally name dropping here. Oh yeah, you know, me and Sean. We go way back. <laughs> I am too. I'm totally name dropping because it reminded me of the song, and then you said you, you met that guy or know that guy. That's that's even cooler. So. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Funny little thing about Sean. Um, so his not his recent album, but the one that came out before that. Um, that's that album came out. Uh, I think the album was called Closer. I know the main song was, but that album came out right when my life was totally blowing up, and the the songs on that album spoke to me in that moment, um, like no other album really has. Which was the weirdest thing because I'd be sitting there listening to it, just literally weeping at the like the song "Don't Give Up," right. and. Uh, you know, it's funny, I'm getting a little, you know, emotional here thinking about it. But then it's like, I'm sitting there weeping over that, and then, and then it's like, but I know this guy. And it's just, it's this weird thing when it's right. like, I have all this history of like, he used to live with the guy, we worked at the same summer camp. And uh, yeah, so it's just kind of an interesting side note. Right. It's like a Holy Spirit thing, right? Yeah. So not just him, it's that, that Holy Spirit speaking through him, because you know him. Like, you guys have maybe, you know, farted at camp and said dick jumps to each other or something like that, right? <laughs> More than likely, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. a lot of people probably know what summer camp's like, and that, I mean, it was totally like that. That's right. Um, uh, the, the, um, a couple of other things that I wanted to, to talk about. Um, we talked about your two-worldview approach, you know. I, I dig that, that you're, you have people, you know, jump ahead maybe in the book. Well, I always wanted to write a choose-your-own-adventure book. Right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of like what we're, we're, we're doing. Yeah, and, and the reason I did that, um, you know, it's uh, you, you're referring to a little sidebar right right towards the beginning. There's literally things that says choose-your-own-adventure. And it says, you know, if you're coming to this book from a Christian worldview, then just read through it from a normal book, like right. as a normal book. However, if you're not, if you're coming from this uh, as, as a non-Christian or whatever, you know, label you want to put on it, um, you know, then jump ahead to line number four and line number five first, because that really sets the foundation of Christianity. And that's a lot of what we talked about, about like, why did God give us the rules? Is it so that we can follow them and earn his favor? No, God gave us the rules so that we could realize we can't follow them. We can't live up to his standard, right. but he loves us enough to send Jesus to make a way for us. And so the, but I really wrestled with this because I, I kind of wanted to put that right at the beginning because apart from, from that understanding, the book doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but also I realized I, I want to get the, the most important things in front of my primary audience. My primary audience is going to be Christian men. 
and realizing that we're all ADD, we all have the attention span of, you know, a golden retriever squirrel, (laughs) you know, and so that's why I wanted to have the first three lies are really the foundational truths. Like if you only read through the end of line number three, you're going to hopefully get enough out of that, that you'll start to see some life change. I mean, obviously I hope you read the whole book. Um, so that's why I have the choose your own adventure thing. And it makes a whole lot more sense when you're actually, when you have the book in front of you and you're, and you're looking at it. But, but like, like you said, it, it makes it accessible for either somebody coming from this, from a Christian worldview, as well as somebody coming from a non-Christian worldview. Right. Line number two, what is, what is that? We'll go through them if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, we won't give the whole thing away. A spoiler alert, all right? Well, not that, but if, if you don't mind going through the lies. That uh, we... Yeah, not at all. Well, we, we already touched on line number one, which is my pornography addiction defines who I am. Right. And that's all, that's talking about identity. And, and as we said, you know, only God can define who you are, and He defines you as His child. Right. You know, uh, line number two, I am alone with my struggle with pornography oh, addiction. Oh, that's a big one, man. I yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah, I, I mentioned in my, in my intro, um, you know, I was keeping a multi-billion dollar pornography industry alive just by myself. <laughs> right. You know, it's because it's like yeah. you, you see the statistics, but then you, you also convince yourself, oh, I'm the only one that struggles with this, which we all know. Well, I'm the only Christian one. Maybe yeah. Steve, yeah, right? Definitely. I'm the only guy in church. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but the truth is you're, you're not alone. You're not right. the only one fighting this battle. The dirty thoughts in church. You talk about that in your book. I so related to that. Like, why the hell is that jumping into my mind while I'm watching, you know, this woman sing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to pray with my eyes open, you know, yeah. cause I'd open my eyes to, to, or I close my eyes to pray. And, and my mind was just so polluted that, you know, I'd see these inappropriate images and which, I fully believe is uh, spiritual warfare. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like Satan is bringing those to your mind to try and distract you. I totally believe that too. Not every cognition comes from you, you know. Right. We like to say maybe in sciencey terms that oh, it's all just you know your evolutionary biological. No, there's there's you know like a freaking radios man, and some of that stuff doesn't come from us. You brought that up as well, not just the pornography part, but the, the thoughts in our mind. Like we're, you're not alone. You're not alone. That's a right. huge lie that a lot of guys believe. I said that in the podcast early show. I said, hey, if you've never confessed this to anybody, send me an email. Let's start this thing off. You're getting it outside of you. You know, I think you should do it face-to-face in front of somebody too, but this is a good first start. Right. And I still get those emails from that show I recorded like eight years ago, you know? Well, that's why I love like the, the subreddits, like no fat, yeah, porn yeah. free. And uh, now there's no fat Christians, you know? Yeah. And, and that's why I love those online communities where people, you can just make a throwaway account and get on there and just, you know, share your story. And just the act of doing that, you know, it's, it's not going to be as beneficial as actually sitting down face to face and starting a, a real relationship with a brother that will walk with you. But it helps you practice that. It helps you kind of throw it out there, cast a net, and then see what comes back. And and in all of those communities, all you're going to get is encouragement and people saying, "Hey, man, I've been there. I, I know what you're going through. You know, let's walk through this together." That's right. And how much more powerful is that if you're doing that with somebody in real life? Uh, speaking of no fab, I had this open. Um, anyway. Uh, I tried to ask, I was going to have 
people I know have asked you questions that I told them I was doing the interview, um, <laughs> but nobody's responded to the, the NoFap thread. I tried to get on the Christian one, but it didn't post very well. I don't know. Still trying to learn NoFap myself, yeah. but, uh, but it's a, you're right, it's a great community. Um, line number three. Line number three, my pornography addiction is about fulfilling my sexual desires. You know, how pretty much up until I was married, that, the, once I was married, that's when I first started to consider that maybe there's something else going on here. Because I totally believe the lie that pornography addiction is all about high sex drive. You right. know, it's like, I just have a high sex drive, yeah. and I need a Twinkie. It's like junk food for your penis, right? Right. It's like, I'm horny, I'm going to look at porn. Right. And so the danger of that lie is, like almost every guy I've talked to that's been open about it has admitted that they believe that because it's about sex, when they get married, it will go away. Right. Because then, you know, you can have sex whenever you want when you're married, which, of course, married guys know is a whole other <laughs> lie. Right, yeah. But, you know, if you believe it's about sex, you're going to believe that it goes away when you're married. Uh-huh. Um, but it actually got worse when I was married. Right. And here's why. It's because the truth is pornography addiction is an attempt to receive intimacy without risking rejection. Right. And which sounds like a big mumble of words, but in order to kind of explain it quickly, what happens is when you have shame, so you feel bad about your pornography addiction, there, there's shame from that, you have the desire to hide it. Right. And this um, goes back to that whole idea, I'm the only one struggling with this. Mm-hmm. So you put on this mask, you create this false self, and for me it was like, hi, I'm Steve without the porn addiction. I never let my wife know. Right. So whenever she tried to love me, whenever she tried to offer love to me, I knew subconsciously that she wasn't offering love to the real me. She was offering love to this fake me right. that didn't exist. And so as our marriage progressed, intimacy never developed because I was never able to receive her love. And so we never felt that closeness because as long as there's lies, as long as you're not letting your whole true real self be known by the other person, you cannot receive their love. And of course, I would blame it all on her and say she wasn't very good at loving me, and that just added, <laughs> added fuel to the fire. Yeah. But see, what happens? We can be good at that, can't we? We're good judges. I like what Nate Larkin said. He said that we're, we're natural loners. Right. And we're good judges. We sit around and judge everyone. And, and the isolation is just our kind of warm, comfortable poop that we sit in. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, I get you. It's totally true. But see, that's where, that's where porn becomes so dangerous. Yeah. And that's why it got worse in marriage. Because the more that I realized I wasn't experiencing this intimacy with my wife, yet I still craved that intimacy. You know, where's the one place where a guy feels like he can go and have, you know, an intimate encounter without fear of being known right you know or rejected rejected. yeah and so that's where porn becomes so dangerous because you go there and it's like and again most of this is subconscious you don't even realize it's happening but when you're sitting in front of the computer you realize well obviously this girl desires me or at least that's (laughs) what it looks like and she knows that i'm into porn because i'm looking at her so it's like in this weird way you feel like the computer knows you better than your own wife right and it's just it's when you, when you say it out loud, it sounds ridiculous, but how many guys, I mean, oh, yeah. I literally, I felt a deeper connection with my computer than I did with my wife. Right. And that's messed up, but yeah, that's it's... what porn does. And once you realize that, then you realize, well, the only way out, like the only way out of that, the only way to actually experience intimacy with my spouse is to no longer hide. 
And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I mean, it's the most frightening thing in the world, but it's like, man, if this damage has been done, it's been done. And you can try and sweep it under the rug, but you will never experience intimacy with your spouse as long as this remains hidden. Right. That's just, and it's I scary. I to speak to that too. Um, there's something that, that I suffer from, and it's, it's, the psychologists call it toxic shame. Um, there was a statistic thrown around, I don't know how true it is, I don't know the total source on it, but they said that somewhere around 80 to 83% of sex addicts have some kind of sexual abuse in their past. Right. That's part of my story, and if I'm honest, I, I, still, I still deal with that toxic shame, that kind of, um, it usually comes out as anger, uh, I, it can rot your life, you know. Now that I'm, I'm away from all of my chemical romances, and then the sex thing took so long that I was just addicted to the sex thing for so long. And in my recovery from drugs and alcohol, I kind of had Jesus as my, he was like a, he was like a, a, a best supporting actor in my, in my movie, right? Right. Like he was over here as my coach to get me out of drugs and alcohol, but I didn't realize, you know, like you were saying in your book, man, that, that I... I didn't really buy it. I didn't know the gospel. I didn't need religion, but I didn't know the gospel. So I wanted to speak to that too. There's a web on the website, ASI247.org, there is a, um, a phone number for a, a website called RAIN. Um, they do counseling for people who are sexual abuse victims. If you're struggling with this and you don't have money or maybe you don't have insurance and you don't know who to see, um, there's some great resources there. Um, they'll see you. They'll talk to you. You'll get you to plug into support groups. Um, I, I just wanted to throw that out there because toxic shame is—it's um, why a lot of sexual abuse victims commit suicide. Right. That constant voice in the head, like you're saying, that I gotta hide. I can't be me. I gotta, you know, I gotta go over here to get my needs met. Um, but so what? True. And what fuels that? And that's that goes right back to line number one. You know, because as addicts, we'll say my pornography addiction defines who I am. Well, oftentimes people that are abused, especially sexually, they allow that to define who they are. And so they'll, you know, you'll hear people say, I'm I'm dirty. I'm, my only purpose is, is for sex, you know, and it's all these lies that people, you know, I'm, I'm used goods or, or whatever they tell themselves or, um, you know, and that's why it's so important to have find your identity in God says you are. You know, it's like that was a big one for me too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it's like you look at the you look at the um, the woman at the well that, that Jesus had the interaction with, or or the woman that was caught in adultery that that the Pharisees drag out and disown. And it's like, what is Jesus's response to those women? You know. And you know that those women are, are struggling with shame, especially the woman that was caught in adultery. You know, it, they, they drag her out like she was caught in the act. So a lot of people have said like she was probably not even clothed. Right. And they literally drag this woman into the town square and they're pointing out everything that's wrong with her and saying, you know, you deserve to die. You deserve this. All this voice of condemnation. And, you know, what does Jesus do? He, he says, you know, does any, where's your, where are your condemners? You know, does anyone else condemn you? Right. Ne- neither do I. Yeah. You know, and he shows her grace and he accepts her as she is. And then once they have that relationship and once he has defined her as one that he loves and he has that union with her in that way, then he says, go and sin no more. But what do we do as a church? We, we go to these people that are hurting and broken and, and 
and disconnected from Jesus. And we say, try and fix him. Yeah, you need to go sin no more. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need the grace of God. That's right. To define you as one who is loved unconditionally by him, regardless of what you have done or what has been done to you. That's right. The cross of Jesus covers the sin that was done to you. It no longer defines you. What was done against you no longer defines you. And when people start to understand and believe that and realize God loves me even though this terrible thing was done to me, that's what sets you free from that toxic shame. That's right. Because it's the the Bible clearly says, you know, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You know, Christ has come to take away your shame, whether it's a result of your own sin or sin does it done against you. He takes it all. Right. Very true. So lie number three. Line number three. Uh, well, that was pornography addiction is about fulfilling sexual oh, desires. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, line number four. I can compensate for my pornography addiction by doing enough good in other areas. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, that was I my... I volunteer at the soup kitchen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a big one. For me, it was, you know, help, helping out, out in church, uh, you know, summer camp, all that stuff. I was, you know, and, and I think this is where a lot of people are is, and again, most of the time, the stuff you don't recognize, you're believing this lie. And that's a big part of why I wrote the book is to get people to ask the question, am I believing this? Am I trying to become a good Christian secretly trying to cover up the fact that I know that I'm not perfect? Right. You know, and, and the truth is that none of us will ever be good enough. You know, none that's of right. us can overcome our sin. None of us can attain God's standard of perfection. It's Isaiah 64. You know, your best day is dirty rags, you know. Right. God's like, don't bring that in my throne room, you know, that kind of thing. We we think we can bring that in. The book of Hebrews, you know, I love the book of Hebrews. Like, altar's closed. You know, Jesus is enough. It's, yeah. it's done. Well, and that's, that's why at the beginning of, of line number four, I say, like, you know, Make sure you've got time to sit down and read this and line number five together. Because line number four is the bad news. Right. You know, the bad news is we can't be good enough. Right. You know, and, and I talk a lot about how the reason all the rules are in the Bible, the reason God gave us the law isn't to give us the path of how to get to heaven. He gave us the law to show us this is what's required. You're not going to be able to live up to it. That's right. The law was given to show us. That we need Jesus. preschool freaking stuff, you know, the Ten Commandments. It's yeah. like, you know, you can put that up at the preschool, like, don't stab each other, you know, that kind of thing. Like, we should know that. Right. <laughs> yeah, but then that, that leads right into line number five, which is the good news. And, well, the truth about line number five is the good news. The lie for line number five is my pornography addiction separates me from God's love. You know, how many times, like, literally every time that I would, I would act out, you know, it's like everybody, every, everybody that struggles with pornography, they know that moment of clarity they have after they, they finish masturbating. And it's like, all of a sudden you can see clearly and you're like, what did I just do? Like, I am, I can't believe I just did that. And all of a sudden you hear all the shame and condemnation. And my belief was God has turned his back on me. I have to fix this in order for God to love me. And you know, God rejects me because of this. But the truth is your sin can never separate you from God's unconditional love. Right. And that's the beauty of grace. Line number five is all about God's grace and the fact that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're currently doing in the moment, God is still right there and he still loves you and he still offers the same path to salvation to you as he does to everybody, no matter how good or bad they are. And that's trust Jesus and he'll work through this with you. And even after you've trusted Jesus, the, like, you know, one of, the, one of the things that really changed my view on God's grace was um, 
in the book Classic Christianity, Bob George makes a comment and he's like, how much of your sin was in the future when Jesus died on the cross? Right. It's like all of it. All of it. You know? right. And so we have this idea as Christians, it's like, okay, so maybe, maybe you know, yeah, my salvation came because of what Jesus did. And, you know, and that took away all my sin, but everything I've done since then, now I have to make up for. And it's like, but no, even your sins you have yet to commit were paid by the cross. All of your sin, past, present, and future has been covered by the cross. When you understand that, it changes everything because now, you know, and, and I mentioned in my book, I'm, I'm not perfect. I wish I could say that, you know, I haven't looked at porn in 10 years. Um, to be honest, it, it's about once, twice a year for me now. Right. And, and I hope that next year it's once a year and then it's once every five years, you know, and, and I know that's going to freak a lot of people out when they hear that and they're like, well, who are you to write a book? <laughs> and, and, you know, so it, if that raises your hackles, um, you know, that, that's too big of a thing to go in here, but shoot me an email and, and I, will, I will give you a copy of, of that chapter from the book for free so you can read it and, right. and understand why. Like, I'm not justifying my sin. Um, but what, what I realize... Um, Thank God you didn't wait until you're perfect to write your book. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, and That's I really, a good one speaking of my imperfection, I just totally, <laughs> I just, totally lost I my train of thought. I just threw your train of thought off the tracks, didn't I? Yeah. But that is so true. I mean, you're, you're honest. I mean, that's what, that's what it's about. I, I, I use the analogy of um, the big 600-pound gorilla that used to stand behind me when my wife left the house or I was alone with the computer is now more like a chihuahua. Yeah, it's still there, man, and well, it still comes in intently, but it's not in the power it used to. Right, and and that actually reminded me where I was going with all of that was, um, like now when I do struggle, if it's if it's with, and this thing, it's like porn isn't the end all. It's like if I if I never look at porn again, great, that'll be awesome. But I guarantee you, I'll struggle with something else because <laughs> I'm human, you know. And it's yeah. like porn just happens to be like the the big thing in my life that that tends to be that gorilla but like you said now it's just a little monkey but what happens is now when i when i give in to temptation when i fail whether it's a porn or any sin for that matter the way i used to respond was with this lie god must be so ashamed of me i'm such a terrible sinner i you know i've got to fix this and it would pull me away from god but now because i understand god's grace in that moment of clarity afterwards it's like i i instantly just get to my knees and it's like, Jesus, thank you that, that your cross covered that. Thank you that this sin does not separate me from you. Thank you that you love me even though I'm not perfect and that you knew I'm not, I wouldn't be perfect right now and you still chose to die for me. Right. Your love for me is unconditional and it's weird and it's going to sound, I mean, to me, it, it almost sounds sacrilegious to say this, but in, in a lot of ways, when I sin now, it draws me closer to Christ. Because the response to that sin is to understand his grace and to come back to his grace. And if you're looking at this struggle from the idea of spiritual warfare and you figure, you know, you've got an enemy that's trying to drag you down, I'm, I'm convinced that Satan's going to see like, oh, every time I convince him to sin in this area, it actually backfires and draws him closer to Christ. Right. So he's going to back off, you know, and it's, but that's the power of God's grace. That's why grace is really the only thing that's strong enough to set you free is that's to like, trust that God loves you even though you're still a sinner. Right. This, there's a story that James Noriega 
at, at Mars Hill. We're just a, like a mile away, just across the river from the Ballard campus of Mars Hill here at this coffee shop too, which is ironic. Um, James Noriega would, would have, have people like recovery folks in. They're all sitting there and he had this, this sermon or this talk he did and he said, he said, I want you to think back to the dirtiest, nastiest thing you ever did that Satan keeps throwing in your face and that keeps reminding you of that. Think of it, bring it into your mind, he said. And then he said, that's where Jesus said, I want that one, I want that guy, I want that girl, I want her right there, right now, right where she's at. I'm getting emotional thinking about it because there wasn't a dry eye in the house after he said that, man. Yeah, it's very true, you know? Like God loves us that much. That's, that's the difference in worldview between Christianity and every other, every other worldview or religion out there. Well, that's why, it, that's why it's so damaging to approach people that you're trying to share Christ with and say, you need to fix your behavior and then God will love you. Because yeah. what you're communicating is God only loves you if you're worthy of his love. Yeah. And that's the beauty of grace is none of us are worthy of God's love, not even close. That's right. But he loves us anyway. Yeah. And that's why I, I love when, you, when I see ministries, you know, like, like my church, for instance, our, our motto at my church is love people where they're at and help them follow Jesus. Right. You know, and it's like, I love my church. One of our main greeters has, like, is just totally covered in tattoos. And, you know, he, if you just saw him walking down the street, like a lot of church folk would be like, oh, you know, I'm scared of that guy. But he's like, he's one of the coolest, godliest guys I know. You know, and it's like, I love that I go to a church where that can happen. Right. I love that I go to a church where when the truth came out about my addiction, over the course of that year, every single elder at one point took me out to coffee and said, hey man, I want you to know, yeah, we all know what you did was wrong. We don't need to remind you of that, but we love you and we're there for you and we want to help restore you. And it's like, that's the gospel. Yeah. You know, and it's like the church should be a hospital, not a country club. Exactly. So, and, but that's, it's funny, like my church is actually called Grace and it's like, I've, I've come to realize that that's a very fitting name for it because it's <laughs> one of the, it's one of the communities where I most experience this just unconditional love. Grace Church. Where is this? Uh, in Eugene. Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, Eugene, Oregon. Right. Yeah. Home of the, uh, the mighty Oregon Ducks. Right. Yeah. Which is annoying because I'm an Oregon State, <laughs> Beaver, Oregon State Beaver fan and, oh, and there you go. Oh. I, I don't think they've beat them in football and like. <laughs> a decade, but whatever. So we're on, on st- we're on uh, line, line number six. six. Wow. Yes. I'm pushing <laughs> right. through. Yeah. So by next week, we'll be done with this. Um, That's right. Yeah. Line number six. I'm strong enough to control my pornography addiction on my own. And. You know, that's that whole mentality that we've kind of talked about where it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to fight this. I can, I can do this. I can become strong enough. I'm going, if I get a good internet filter or, uh, you know, maybe if I, you know, whatever, it's like, we, we look at what's the pattern, what the step, what are the steps, what can I do to beat this? Right. And the truth is in order to find freedom, you've got to give up on your own ability. Right. You know, it's when you, the guys that I've worked with, more often than not, that when, when I see the tide turn, when I see them start to get freedom, is when they finally reach that point where they just give up. And they say, I've tried everything, I can't do it, it doesn't work. That's why the moment for me where God became real to me and I really found freedom was, that was the confession. Because that was the moment when I recognized my brokenness. Right. And I said, I can't do this life, I can't overcome my sin, I'm, I'm lost without you, Lord. 
And I love Matthew it. five. Like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. I was just gonna say, yeah. like, I yeah. love Matthew five three, and especially the message. That was a big one for me too. Because check out the message translation. Uh, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. That's right. And when I read that in the message, that just hit me. Yeah. It was like that's so true. It's like, you know, as men especially, we recognize when we're at the end of our rope, and we're hanging. And kind of like you talked about that guy before, where. He's like, God, where are you? You know, we're hanging on that rope and we're saying, God, why won't you let me climb back up this rope? Why won't you, why won't you, you know, help me do it? And I think, you know, this sounds unloving, but in reality, it's the most loving thing God can do. I, I think really he's there saying, I'm just waiting for you to let go. Yeah. You know, because he doesn't want to help you climb back up the rope. He wants to catch you when you finally let go of the rope. Right. And that's where recovery starts, is when you let go of your rope and you realize, I can't do this. I need you, Jesus. Right. That's the thing about the, the filters. I'm actually reviewing the new, somebody asked me to review the new uh, X3 filter, and I have that on my phone now just to see if it, you know, I'm not trying to hack it. <laughs> right. But I was, I don't know, I'm tempted, but I'm not going to try and hack it. But at the same time, I get you. That's never been part of my, uh, you know, in talking about the, the recovery of this. I found that it's a good fence to put up in front of guys where it's a good way to, you know, default against temptation. But at the same time, when you remove it, like here's my thing, Steve, if I'm going to, if I want to look at porn bad enough, I'm going to go look at porn. Right. It doesn't matter if you have a filter on my phone, you can put a filter on my computer, I'll go, I mean, even in the worst cases, I'll go see a prostitute. That's a bad God for me. And I, you know, that's just how sick my heart was. So, and then, then there's that thing when you get a new computer and then once the fence is gone, then when you do all these thoughts, you know, like you're saying, you gotta get to the end of your rope. Yeah, and, and you know, a bit of a side note, but it's like, I always tell guys, what's the purpose of a filter? You know, a filter yeah. isn't to keep you from being able to see porn. You know, I look at filters as a speed bump. It's yeah. like, I have a filter on my laptop and I have it there because the purpose is to slow me down. Like when I'm in that moment where, right. where I see that link or, or, or whatever, and I'm in that moment where I think, oh, I should click on that. That'll make me happy. <laughs> the filter slows me down long enough to realize Stop and remember that. Stop about what you're doing. Yeah, it's like, wait a second. Three of your buddies are going to get an email. Yeah, and, and, well, not only that, but it's like, you know, wait a second. I'm a child of God. I know this isn't going to satisfy yeah, me. I know too. that right. here's the truth. Yeah. And, and then when you get back in that mindset and then you realize, yeah, this isn't going to satisfy me. Why would I even want to click on that? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and that's, but that's what happens. Like you look in the, uh, you look in the book of First Corinthians, and you know the, the the church is just rampant sexual morality and all that. And, oh yeah. And Corinthians make Vegas look like a play school or something. You know. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but what is Paul's overall message to them? He's not saying you need to change your behavior and you need to stop doing this. He says, look. You've forgotten who you are. Yeah. You've forgotten that you are Christ living within you. That's you know, right. you are fused with Jesus. You don't, you know, this won't make you happy. You just, you know, you've forgotten what God has done. And so that's what filters are great for is it slows you down just long enough to remember, wait a second, I am fused with Christ. Christ is living within me. I have the Holy Spirit that will satisfy these needs. The, this, the lie of pornography won't satisfy anything. Right. You know, and so it just slows you down long enough to recognize that. Yeah, that's good. The side, side note. I like it. <laughs> so uh, line number seven, uh, which we touched on a little bit earlier, but it's Jesus can set others free from pornography addiction, but not me. Right. And that's that, that whole... made me work for you, dude. I used to say that, dude, and 
I would be in group, and that was for my aunt folks. Yeah, a nice, comfortable little thing to throw out. Well, and that, that works for you. You don't have my story. Like you never heard what happened to me. You know, I would just go on about just making excuses and pity party and, and all that. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, well, and the, and the other angle from it is from the guys that are are you know in the church, and they're saying like, well, I've I've tried this Jesus thing. If I'm being honest, it's not working. Right. You know, if I'm being honest, it's not changing my life. I, I don't experience the freedom in life that he's promised me in the scripture. And so the, uh, sort of the, the, what, I, what I get out of that chapter is I say, well, if you're, if you're professing faith in Christ and, and you're not experiencing what the Bible promises will happen if you have trusted Christ, it can only mean two things. Either the Bible is not true or what you are believing is not actually what the Bible is saying. Right. And it's not the gospel, it's something else. Right. And, and to be honest, this was the chapter where I fully expect the most pushback. Because I'm going to get a lot of people that read this, and all they're going to see is, oh, so you're saying that you can lose your salvation? No, not at all. Right. I address that directly. This is not, once you are in Christ, you are in Christ. Right. But what I'm saying is you can be in church, but not in Christ. You can say that you are a Christian without ever trusting Jesus. That's right. And... When you understand that, it makes Matthew 7, 22 and 23 one of the scariest verses in the Bible. It says, on judgment day, many will come to me, Lord, Lord. So they're saying, Lord, they're, they're professing Christians. <laughs> right. They're calling him Lord. We prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And so what we see in Jesus' reply is he's saying, look, you're calling me Lord, but I don't know you. You haven't actually made me Lord. Right. And the fact that he specifically says, you know, he, he rejects them on the basis of their behavior of saying, you know, you who break God's laws, it shows that they have not trusted Jesus to take away their sin. And so I'm not in any way saying, you know, I'm, it's my job to go around and who's in, who's out. That's, right. that's not it at all. That's not what, what I'm doing. You're trying to convict hearts. Right. What I'm saying is right. ask yourself, are you just claiming the title of Christianity without actually making your, like, without actually trusting Jesus as your Lord? You know, I can say I'm on the Seahawks, you know, and, but I'm not. Right. It doesn't matter what I say. Yeah. You know? like anybody that looks at me would clearly see that I'm not, you know, there's no life change that has come from being a professional NFL player. You right, know? Right, and it's right. like, and, and so it's, it's kind of a cheesy analogy, but it, it's that same thing. It's, and it all comes back to the fact that you can be in church, but not in Christ. And so what I encourage guys is ask yourself, have you truly trusted Jesus? Right. I wanted to, I was going to find, I'm trying to find an email in my phone. I couldn't find it. There's a guy and I will read it on a, on a future show. Guy sent me an email because here's another one that guys will say, religious guys. If I confess this, Steve, I'll be fired. I'll lose my job. I can't. That's great for you. You don't know my story. Right. And some of those cats are probably listening right now. I got an email that just brought, brought me to tears after the Tom Ryan interview where this guy said he's in Florida and there's been a few mega churches with pastors who've had, you know, sexual stuff go on, busted up their churches. And so this cat comes into a room with these other pastors and elders, and he sits, the, the head pastor, the head elder sits down and says, all right, who's struggling sexually? You'll be met with grace. Just confess it. Let's talk about it. Let's get it in the open. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, how many church, how many sicknesses would leave the churches if people would just do that? And this guy's like, yeah, I struggle with pornography. He said that in that room. And he was met with grace. Yeah. And now he's, you know, he's in recovery. He's helping with recovery at the church. He's not fired. He didn't lose his job, but he's, he was honest. So that's part of it too. You know, it's so hard for guys to eat. We need to be the church. We need to be the church. If we need to be the body, not the Walmart, right? Right. Not the police station. We need to be the body of Christ. Isn't that true? Yeah. And that's why, you know, statistically pastors are more likely to struggle with porn than, than, Almost any other demographic. <laughs> so it's true. It's so sad, but true. Yeah. I that, laugh because it's so sad, but true. Right. But the reason why is because of that hiddenness. It's because, yeah. you know, like for for you and me who are just, you know. We're just what, dudes. Like you wouldn't you're expect a pizza me. guy. I'm a graphic designer. Right. You, know? you would expect us to look at porn. Right. Yeah. But it's like if, <laughs> if my story gets out, yeah, I lose face. I lose reputation. But I'm not likely to lose my job. Yeah. You know, with, with yeah. pastors, if, if they confess, there's that fear. It's like, not only do I have all the same fallout that everybody else has relationally, but now I'm unemployed. Exactly. And oftentimes unemployable. Right. Because no other church is going to want to hire a fallen pastor. And to be honest, I don't know the solution to it. Um, Your book is important. That's why it's so important, man. This book is important, dude. I tell you what. Yep. For that fact alone. One, one thing I will not believe in the lies, right? Yeah. One thing I will mention about pastors, um, something that God's put on my heart. I don't know what it's going to look like yet. I don't know if it's just going to start as something I do in my own home community or if it's something that I will try and do as like an online Skype group. Um, but trying to figure out a way where I can, I can host recovery groups and eventually start a network of recovery groups specifically for pastors that are struggling. Yeah. There because, is something like that actually. Um, my friend, uh, yeah, if there's something out there, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's plug them because it's like, yeah, pastors need that place where if they're among peers and they can say, well, we're all, you know, pastors. So we know we're not going to rat each other out. Yeah. Highercalling.com. Highercalling.org. He has a whole page dedicated to pastors. That's awesome. He talks to them like before they even get on the message board, he calls them up and talks to them. I've had him on the show before. It's, uh, uh, John Glisson. It's a great guy. But yeah, that does exist. It's something that you get plug folks into. It's on the, on the website, asi247.org, um, the higher calling part. But maybe I should highlight that more after this interview, um, put that out there, that, that that's a resource that those guys can plug into. Yeah. So, dude, we are just about out of time. I want to have you on again maybe sometime, you know? Yeah. We'll do the crappy phone interviews or something to finish up, you know? I, and, I'm always looking for an excuse to come to Seattle so we can do this all the time. See that? There you go. I like that. Yeah, we got, uh, we're, we're on, we just ended on uh, line number seven. So you want to learn, you want to know the other lines, man, you got to buy this book, dude. You're going to have to go uh, check it out. Um, you also have it on the website, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, if you go to my own website, which is beltoftruth.com, uh-huh. um, just like in the in Ephesians when Paul, Paul's talking about the spiritual armor, the belt of truth. Right. Um, at belt of truth on Twitter. At the belt of truth. The belt yeah. of truth. There you but go. just go to beltoftruth.com. You'll find links to all my social media. Um, I have a bookstore on there. And you know you can get the book on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. It's available everywhere. There's eBooks, all that. Um, but that being said, if um, I also have a study guide. 
and yeah, I, I really wrote right. the book hoping that churches will um, start their own groups. I want to equip churches to be able to do this. So if you go to my own website and my bookstore, I sell books um, at cost. Right. And it, you don't have to be a church. I'll sell them to anybody. Um, so and you have a PDF, right? Right. Yeah. So if you, um, I have what I call the group kit and you get five books, five study guides for eighty nine ninety nine. I literally make like 38 cents off it by the time you factor in shipping. Right. Um, and that comes with free downloads of bulletin inserts, uh, posters, sermons, like a, a promotional video, everything a church needs. So all you got to do as a church, buy one of these kits. Um, you know, you can turn around and sell the book for 10 bucks a piece to the guys and make some money on it. I don't care. You know, just buy the kit, open a door and tell the guys, here's a safe place. You, nobody right. has to go through it ahead of time. Everyone can go through the study guide together for the first time. I'm just trying to, to make it a no brainer for churches to start dealing with this issue and right. to equip them and take away all the hurdles. Cause you know, all this Reddit and, and, and highercalling.org.com. I mean, those guys, that's, all that stuff's great, but that. The eye-to-eye, face-to-face, there's something to that, man. There's something yes. spiritual going on when dudes can sit in the same room, see each other eye-to-eye, face-to-face, and, man, there's no, you know, there's just a different aspect than doing it online in that way. I think that's awesome that you got that resource for folks. Yeah, well, I mean, Christ has called us to do life in community. Right. None, none of us are called to be Rambo and go be like, lone <laughs> right. soldiers, you know? Yeah. And so that's why, like, Everybody I give the book to, it's like, you know, I, I hope you get a lot out of this book, but to be honest, if you plug into a group, you're going to get 10 times as much. Yeah. You know, oh, and yeah. That, that's just the reality of how the church works. We're the body of Christ. We're not, you know, the individual pinky finger of Christ. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's so very true. Um, I'll have a link to the book. I already do. I have a link to the book on the bookstore, on the website. If you click on uh, bookstore books, or I, I don't even remember, on my own website. It's also right there on the homepage if folks want to buy that on Amazon. Yeah, and um, I, uh, I should mention, um, this is going up on the 4th of July, right? No. It'll be up next week. Okay. So. Well, in that case, it's too late. <laughs> oh, no. What happened? What? Well, by, through July 8th, um, you can get the ebook for $0.99 cents on Amazon. Oh, okay. Um, but what That's we can do is uh, I will set up a, a coupon code on my own website. The, the code will just be ASI247. Um, I'll have to go home and do some math and figure out what discount I can give you. But um, anybody that goes to my website, beltoftruth.com, click on store, uh-huh. um, plug in the coupon code ASI247, and um, you'll get a pretty substantial discount. I'll see if I can get the book down to hopefully around five or six bucks. Sweet. Um, no guarantees, but I can guarantee you'll get a huge discount. So Right. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, and if for some reason you hear this before July 8th, hop on, uh, <laughs> hop on Amazon, get the ebook for 99 cents. Right. Thank you, Steve, man. I appreciate it so much. And uh, again, your book is important. Um, we believe lies, man. We're born believing lies. And, and this uh, it's important work, dude. Well, it's the, uh, you know, what is the, one of the most famous things Jesus says, I am the truth. And the yeah. truth will set you free. That's right. And that's what it all comes down to. You know, if you're believing lies, you're fighting the wrong battle. You're fighting against a battle that does not exist. Once you understand the truth, then you know what you need to do. That's right. And that truth will set you free. That's right. And Very the beautiful true. thing is you don't really have to do much. You just trust. And I know that sounds like a cop-out and makes it sound too easy, but, man, that's why they call it the good news. That's no, right. the Christian life's not perfect. It's not easy, but 
it's amazing and it will set you free. Freedom is possible. That's right. Amen. Try it. <laughs> what, do you, what do you have to lose? You have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Um, Till next week, thank you listeners. Uh, again, your website, one more time? Beltoftruth.com. Beltoftruth.com. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you. Appreciate it. Listeners, until next week, bye.